Hello, everyone. It is that Williams guy. And wow, we're here for episodes two weeks in a row. It's just madness. Uh, we're starting a, a new trend of being able to get episodes out twice in, in a row. I, I'm just I'm shocked at, at, at how this has happened. Uh, joining me tonight, the suit is shootus. Alec, how you doing? Doing all right, Lee. Appreciate you having me back on the show. Sure. If you would introduce yourself again to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Alex Sansone. Um, I am known to the extent that I am in the uh, in the gun space as the suited shootist. And uh, basically, my focus is talking about the overlooked social considerations of an armed lifestyle. And uh, I talk about everything from, you know, my interactions professionally and socially with non-gun people while being armed, uh, as well as, you know, basically my two big claims to fame are I yell at people on the internet to pull their pants up and I've been fired from a job for violating company weapons policy. So that's my, that's my little corner of the space. Yeah. It's, I think that's one thing that just gets completely overlooked in this whole training community, firearms community that, that we all kind of walk around in is one is that we tend to think that everybody's like us, even though we know they aren't. And it's easy to say, you got to be carrying this this gun, this piece of equipment, all this kind of stuff, when you won't get fired if you get caught with that job. I get paid to carry a gun. They're not going to get upset with me if I get caught with a gun at work. Right. You might get upset you know, if, you, if you get caught without a gun at work. Yeah, that that's actually an issue if I – well, it depends on what I'm doing. Yeah. Because what I'm doing, um, I don't work in a setting with a jail anymore, but you don't take a firearm into the jail. Um if I am doing scenarios, we don't take live firearms into Hard scenarios. Uh, that's that is an absolute no no. Uh, it's made the news more than once. So yeah, yeah, I know where you're coming from there. It is so easy to screw that up. That uh, yeah. yeah, there are just certain times with my job, even even when I'm involved in situations that I'm not required to take the gun off there are now certain times where i'm going and locking it up and securing it just because i don't want to take the risk of of it getting mixed up and I get it. It, it could easily 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 happen and i just i'm not doing that but by the same token as we also have to provide security overwatch for some of the stuff that we do and so we're we're now we're getting to some things where like you're staying on but you're going over there you know, you're not going to be actively involved in this stuff. But I don't want to get too far down that money trail. It's, um, we've talked about this kind of on the show before, but previously that doesn't ever hurt to rehash it. If you have a real honest to goodness job that is not part of this culture whatsoever, the stakes you know how do you how do you balance this i need to have the tools at hand to defend myself and protect myself but i also i've got to be able to make a house payment i've got to be gainfully employed and you know what if you get fired from this big box store it's really not hard to go across the road and get hired at the next big box store but mm -hmm. if you're in a very specialized industry it may be hard to get hired again yeah, I mean, you know, it, licensure or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, a uh, a mutual friend of ours uh -huh. in his industry 
um, specifically if he were to catch a felony charge, that would detonate his entire, like he would lose all the licenses that he has to conduct business in the industry in which he works. Um, and the irony of it is, is, is that he is for all intents and purposes, self-employed, but because of the industry and the practices and the standards that are, that they're held to, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily quite that easy. Uh, you know, I, I know you've had uh, DB on the show before and he, yeah. that's one of his uh, sticking points is anytime someone says, well, just, you can just disregard everything else they're about to say, because uh, it, it is, it is based in nothing but fantasy. All right. You know, that little five shot J frame. Mm-hmm. Maybe suboptimal for completing all the drills in a particular popular class. Mm-hmm. But it may be the most practical thing for you to carry if carrying a firearm is even practical at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody's nobody's getting a one twenty five at Rogers with a revolver. Um, but in the same vein, that's where people tend to get you know get it wrong. Is it's like it's not necessarily that you're picking between you know, a, a Keltec 32 or a snub J frame and a Glock 19, you're picking between that and nothing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that, it's that other side of the scale. Um, and that's, that is where I think a lot of folks lose sight of it because oddly enough, I was actually a gun guy first. My first, uh, my first job out of college, when I moved to Houston, I was working at one of the bigger gun shops here for a couple of years. Um, and then realized that, you know, hourly sales associate was not necessarily a, a long-term prospect. And so when I had to then transition into the corporate world to start looking at an actual career path, that is when a lot of this stuff started to clash. Um, because, you know, the reality is, is that Houston is kind of squarely in the middle. You've got people that are aggressively pro 2a and then you've got folks that are on the other side of the political spectrum as well but uh firearms are not a taboo subject here um you know especially given the proximity in the gulf coast in general there's such a large sporting community that uh you know between duck and deer hunting and and upland game um firearms at large are not a, a taboo subject but even amongst those spaces the idea of carrying a firearm regularly for defensive purposes can still be somewhat alien to people. Yep. You know, the, 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 even the majority of gun owners that I've encountered from, you know, just my time again, socially at professional networking functions mm-hmm. and my time working at a gun counter, the kind of the, the average run of the mill thought process is the one that, we collectively tend to laugh at of, oh, well, I'm only going to you know carry a gun if I'm going somewhere where I think I might need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how a, a, a large portion of our allies view our lifestyle. You know, when you, when you say they're not against the idea of firearms, mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you're saying that too, is they have a different view of what firearms means than what we do. They have a shotgun at home to go shoot sporting clays or trap with, or they might go out and call themselves dove hunting once every couple of years. 
mm-hmm. or they have a rifle to shoot deer with. Or yeah, something and along interestingly those lines. Enough, That's what they think. Or they've got, you know, a handgun in the nightstand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not anti-gun. I own a gun. Mm-hmm. That's different than what the world that most of the people that would listen or watch this show, yeah, are in. Well, and you know, the reality of it is, is, is that most of the folks that I've that I've interacted with that have that approach, it's simply because their life experience up to this point hasn't shown them a need for it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're talking to someone who's made it thirty-five, forty plus years without being directly confronted by criminal violence you can show them all the statistics and all the news stories in the world but it is in direct conflict to literally decades of their life experience and so it's it's a matter of finding the way to make the material relevant as opposed to just sort of bludgeoning them over the head with moral righteousness until they come around to see to you know to see things your way yeah, you know, I grew up in a household in which we had guns. Yeah. I fired my first shot from an actual firearm at the age of six. You know, we could walk outside and do it where I grew up. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we did. Um, I grew up in a very, very, very extended family. Everyone that I could see from where I lived, I was related to. Mm-hmm. And so I had cousins that lived in the neighboring houses and across the road and everything like that. And it was nothing for all of us boys to gather up everybody, take our 22 or a shotgun and go in the woods and go calling ourselves hunting. Usually we just walked around with the guns and get, get bored, start shooting pine cones or something like that, making too much noise. Mm-hmm. But we grew up in a world that, you know, preteen boys walking around with guns was not considered abnormal for us. That was yeah. our normal. Um, to, you know, graduating from high school, having a job, everything, I had firearms, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, quote, and I considered myself a gun person because I, yeah. I read about the gun magazines and stuff like that, but I didn't, wasn't in this lifestyle of the daily carry on my person, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, even when I went to the police academy at the age of 27, uh, I kind of had this mindset of I'm in a town of more than 100,000 people, which to me is huge compared to where I grew up. Grew up at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in this town of more than 100,000 people. Nobody's going to recognize me when I'm off duty. You know, carrying the gun on my person off duty is not really that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, made my first arrest out of out of FTO. Go to court on that arrest. Go out to dinner that night, and at the very next table, guess who was sitting there? The guy who just lost his job because he got convicted of the charge for which I arrested him. And hard I to make have, friends in that line of work. I have not left my house unarmed since. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hardly will even leave. Yeah, I don't even go to the mailbox without having something mm-hmm. now. 
Well, and that actually highlights a very good point that I think is kind of another one of the major disconnects within the space, because given that there is such a high concentration of former military and former law enforcement uh, in the instructor pool, the the overall the overall risk profile that y'all are accustomed to is just a little bit higher. Um, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, to the best of my knowledge, at least, there's nobody out in the world that's looking to do me harm by name. So right. as such, that just means that really, as long as I don't look like food, I'm pretty good to go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, folks like you, folks, you know, that are coming out of some of the tier one units where, you know, there are, you know, fatwas on their head and stuff like that, you know, it's... It's it's that it's that other side of being on one of those most wanted posters, and so from from a standpoint like that, the idea of legitimately having to carry a full size fighting gun at all times is a much more realistic proposition. But you know, I'm a suburban you know yuppie white collar professional, so as long as I manage to uh, not run afoul of some over caffeinated soccer mom. Or uh, you know some dude that's just having a real bad day. Mm-hmm. The, it, the 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 math the math is different, and um, and that's that's one of the spots where I think, especially when you look at the influx of brand new gun owners over the last several years, when there is, because I know that it's it's a it's kind of a a sore point even amongst some of the 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 folks that we both know in terms of the uh you know stupid human tricks that are popular on instagram and you know those becoming the the benchmark of competency which there's always going to be that portion of people who they see the top levels of human performance and they find it inspirational and you know there's there's always going to be that that dude that's watching the bull rider going i know i'm not going to make the whole eight seconds and I know I'm probably going to get hurt, but I'm wondering what my time would be. And then there are the people going, absolutely freaking not. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is one of the things that I try and put out as a counterpoint is if the focus is always so heavily fixated on the top level performance, and that is what is aggressively consumed by a majority of the market that that's what that's what's going to be seen on social media and all this other stuff which means that that is what new people to the space are going to be presented with and sure it's going to motivate some of them it's going to turn off a whole lot more to where instead of them becoming an active participant in this armed lifestyle that pistol is simply going to you know sit in that sock drawer and never get touched again yeah yeah, you know, I think one thing's people in in our lifestyle is that we have learned, we have already accepted that there's evil out there. Mm-hmm. We have started training to learn what it looks like because I got to tell you, you know, how I see the world now compared to how I saw it 25 years ago, because I just had last week I had my 25th anniversary of of, of, of the badge. Mm-hmm. You know, places that I used to go as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in a little small community that was 45 minutes away from one of the larger cities in Georgia. 
and we would go there on the weekends. Like, of course, if you want to go to a movie or something like that, that's where you had to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and back when I was growing up, my parents would let me drive there, you know, once I knew how to get there. What's the big deal? Yeah. You know, and now I go back to that same area sometimes. Like, I hadn't been to it in years, and my itinerant ways took me through there not too long ago and i and i was like oh my word my parents actually let me walk around here one by myself Mm -hmm. and two unarmed because i was uneasy as heavily stacked as i was because i'm overlooking okay i see a a handhead and drug deal taking place right over there i see a guy looking for a car to break into and everything else Mm -hmm. and i'm like i can't believe that i thought this was normal and i didn't notice that stuff before and it's just my whole view on all that has changed and so I, I just I'm trying to now go back and look at things like how would someone who doesn't see the world like I do see them mm-hmm. uh, but as your point on like the performer stuff there is nothing wrong folks with wanting to get better skill wise and mm. if you decide that being a master in IDPA or chasing you know, master or A class or grandmaster in USPSA is something you aspire to. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's admirable. Go do it. But that's not everything that goes into the equation. And that's that's one of the things that I really appreciate being able to like. I've had some conversations with guys like Mike Green, guys like Cliff Byerly, who they squarely have a, a foot in both camps of. Yeah. They've done the thing for real, and they've also spent time competing at a very high level. And what I appreciate about them is is that they're able to articulate what value actually comes from the ownership of a high degree of skill. Um, but you know, again, talking with uh, with with a friend of mine who is a very highly accomplished shooter in you know multiple different arenas. Yeah just some of the conversations we've had over drinks, he goes, yeah, dude, honestly, it's not worth it. Like, you know, once, 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 once you're about here, everything else, you know, beyond that is just kind of either bragging rights or, you know, testing your own limitations, but from a practical applicable standpoint, um, you know, go work on your deadlift, go, go work, you know, go, go, go work on your ability to talk to people, um, go work on your relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff, stuff like that. And so it's, it's always finding and, you know, it's it's one of those things you don't see a whole bunch of power lifters in the UFC because the, the goals and the demands are very different between the two. And so you just got to find out where the priorities lie for the individual and go from there. Because if you're truly going to be multidisciplinary, I mean, I'll tell you, it's just because it's what I've been doing most recently. Lifting three days a week and jujitsu two days a week, that's not just five hours out of my week. Collectively, once you factor in commute, recovery, supplementation, you know, and, and everything else, I mean, that is that is a good chunk out of your day. And that's just for, you know, almost what constitutes preventative maintenance um, before you even start getting into, into gun stuff. And there are folks that'll you know, scoff at, oh, you only drive fire five minutes twice a week, scrub. Yeah. It's better than nothing. 
One of the tip of the spear tier one communities has determined. Um, well, I'm going to quote John Hearn because I'm I'm going to trust that John is telling me the truth. John's actually read the study and done all the stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. That basically anything above USPSA B class, which would be what about the equivalent to IDPA master, I think, um, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. Once you hit that, you've pretty much like everything beyond that's kind of diminishing return. Yeah. And so if you can hit that skill level and maintain it, and quite frankly, once you get to that skill level, it's not that hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very easy to lose it and degrade, but it's not that mm -hmm. hard to, to maintain. Right. Um, you know, you need to be working on other things. And, you know, I, I've got a professional requirement that I have to meet within a particular time frame. And quite frankly, that if I had been spending time in the gym or more time walking around the neighborhood, the mm -hmm. subdivision type things, uh, instead of driving overnight to get back from a shooting class to get back to work, everything, I'd be better off right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, that's it. It's just that it's, it's, it's keeping, it's keeping that competency wheel as, you know, as in round as possible. Um, and it's, it's interesting because it, whether you're talking about the 1% of us that pursue, you know, continuing education beyond our state minimum carry permit requirement, or whether you get even more granular to the folks that are looking to hit master or GM level shooting, or whether you've got the folks that are looking to, uh, you know, get a black belt in jujitsu or a 500 pound deadlift or, you know, what, whatever the thing is. Um, once you dedicate a, an appreciable amount of your time to it, then it just becomes, I, I was talking with my mother about just, you know, why I started strength training and, uh, you know, over the course of she's like, well, do you like, it's like, no, it's freaking awful. I hate every minute of it. It's like, well, why do you do it? It's like, cause it's better than, constantly getting hurt in jujitsu and a bunch of my jujitsu friends said hey dude you probably ought to lift some barbells because that'll help you not get hurt as much it's like oh okay well this sucks but getting hurt sucks so it's going to suck either way mm -hmm. um, and it's just we've all heard the expression you know it's amazing what you can get used to but it's true and and the the baseline there is there is no such thing as normal there isn't because again Every, every community and every sort of subculture is going to have their own definition of it. The number of times that people have scoffed at the idea that the theorem switchback, the little uh, tail cap attachment for flashlights, will draw somebody's attention. People legitimately think that that is a laughable proposition when, no lie, in one of my office jobs, I had that flashlight sticking out of my pocket. Not only did somebody ask me what it was, without any prompting, they volunteered that they thought it was an impact weapon because it was it had a ring and it was pointy on the end. I'm like, that's good information to have. Okay. So, you know, the the idea that it is this just completely innocuous thing, or that people don't notice, um, you know, the reality is 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 that all of us that are walking around the planet today are doing so because our ancestors got real good at pattern recognition because 
you know, back when we were the subject of the attention of apex predators uh-huh. and we weren't the top of the food chain. If you're wandering around, you know, the, the savannas or the plains or whatever, Hey, that doesn't look right. Probably is what keeps you alive. And there's some of that that's just so baked in that, uh, it just, it gets dismissed because people notice a lot. And it goes back to what Dr. April talked about in terms of thin slicing and just a matter of, you know, the, the normalcy bias and understanding what you can actually ignore, but people ignore more than they arguably should, but doesn't mean it doesn't register. Yeah. Along that line of what people recognize, I think we should point out that people may see something and notice it or even recognize it and not say anything, but it doesn't mean they didn't notice or recognize it and not say anything. Precisely. As the wave of appendix inside the waistband carry, the slightest wave of it began to take steam and people began adopting it because on this, you know, when the magic timer comes out and everything, they were able to shave a quarter of a second off their presentation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Dang it, I've been trying to break myself of saying et cetera so much, and I just did it. Uh, I have spotted more people carrying concealed or think they're carrying concealed that are carrying appendix than I ever spotted carrying strong side hip. Mm-hmm. More people in the last few years I have spotted it than I have combined all the years prior to that. And I just don't bring that up often and don't mention to people because I just don't want to have the argument because they're not going to believe me. And, you know, people have this emotional thing. Guys, when you're walking into the wind and it is blowing against you and it blows back against your body, your shirt takes the pattern of anything. And I have spotted more pistol grips that way than I Mm -hmm. ever spotted. Well, and and that actually goes back to a, a It's, it's a theory that I have because there's absolutely no way to prove it, but because the performance metrics are such a popular topic of conversation within, you know, the, 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 the internet gun space, I can't help but shake the idea that it is like, it's basically subconsciously encouraging people to carry larger guns that are actually appropriate for their needs and context because they are the easiest to get the requisite scores with mm-hmm. to evaluate capability. Um, and so, you know, there in, in the, uh, in the filter concealment workshop, I, there's not a week that goes by where you don't have some very slight framed individual that is trying to shoehorn a legit full size duty gun into their waistband and is lamenting the struggles that they're having with concealment. It's like, yeah, because you're trying to do it on hard mode, homie. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a whole lot easier. Like, it, it, is, it is a lot easier for me to shoot my Glock 19 than it is my 365X. But is the Delta sign- a substantial enough impact to then justify all of the accommodations that have to be made for it to come along? And of course, the answer is always depends because sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You know, if I'm going to the movies, for example, yeah, the Glock's probably coming with me. But, you know, if I'm going to, I don't know, farmer's market, 
9 a.m. on a Sunday morning in suburban, you know, in, in, in the suburbs outside of Houston. I'm willing to play the odds a little bit there because chances are I'm probably the only one there with a gun at all. <laughs> um, yeah, but again, it's just, it's a matter well, the of... the only one there with a gun legally. I mean, you know, I'm sure that occasionally the, the you know, the odd felon gets an itch for the, uh, you know, artisan handcrafted shaken latte or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, typically my understanding is early Sunday mornings are not their preferred hunting time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's, but that's, you know, that's, that's it. And the, uh, what's interesting about all this is I, I very vividly remember, this is probably four or five years ago at this point, because I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of people in this space that are, that are shooting at an incredibly high level. Uh, having heard a couple of them speak somewhat critically of their own performance you know they describe it like yeah you know i'm an okay shot and they are light years ahead of where i was at the time they still are um it, it literally put me into this kind of existential crisis i was like all right well this guy that's infinitely better than me is saying that he's just okay what the hell kind of chance do i have and you know it's like Am, am I literally just fodder waiting for, you know, the wrong, the wrong predator to come along? And um, after, a, after a conversation with a friend who uh, is a little bit more steeped in outlaw culture than, uh, than I am, uh, you know, like, dude, you know what? There are completely untrained grandmas that have prevailed with a Jennings 25 and there are dudes on the government payroll with hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment and millions of dollars of training that get got by an illiterate goat herd with an AK that's older than either of us. And so, you know, sometimes your number is just up. And so it's like at the end of the day, if you're wrong, it ain't your problem anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of it comes down to recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, luck. As much as I hate to say it, mm -hmm. that is the thing. And yeah, who, as Tom Givens would say, who started the fight versus who started the the contact. Mm -hmm. Okay, I am not a USPSA grandmaster, but I hazard to guess that if I was doing the old high noon thing, and I went first, mm -hmm. they're not going to get me. Now, yeah. you're probably going to get both get got because Dave Spalding proved that over and over and over and over and over again in some of his classes. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's if, if I decide to start the fight, I'm going to win the fight. If someone else decides to start the fight with me, they're probably going to win the fight. Mm -hmm. It's and and a lot of times in the gun fight, they is who gets the first shots in the important meaty bits yep. typically wins, and that has nothing to do with the speed of the presentation. Well, mm -hmm. it may have something to do with the speed of presentation, but that can not, be a factor. But, that, but yeah. that's not the the ultimate thing. Um, <laughs> you know, in the last show we were talking about, last episode talking about the importance of different things in training for baby cops. I am ecstatic when I can get presentations from a level three holster for, in a cadet or a trainee to 
or faster. Mm-hmm. I am just absolutely ecstatic when I can get them to that. That would not win anything on the competition circuit. People in the classroom, <laughs> that cop over there's got a 1.75 presentation. Right? Let mm-hmm. me see you do it from level three scooter. Well, and, and, uh, and not only that, but it's really yeah. interesting because um, one of Craig Douglas's reels that came across my feed today, he was going a little bit deeper into the, the pre-assault cues. Yeah. And uh, he actually pulled in one of his uh, alumni that was a student there who's a cop. And um, if, if you were to watch the video on mute without knowing anything about pre-assault indicators, the initial reaction from the average normal person would be, why, why did he jump? Like, why did he go hands-on with that guy? Like, it, it, was, it was so, you know, un, un, uh, unwarranted. Um, when you go back and watch it and you know what you're looking for, while the, while the cues were subtle, it was enough of, it's like, okay, something's fixing to jump off. And so it was an interdiction of the action as opposed to, a response to it and um you know it's it's that's one of those pieces where from from some of the drills that they've done in both craig's classes and and cecil's um the number of of, of folks that have a hard time doing talky stuff and physical stuff simultaneously mm-hmm. apparently it's practically a superpower um, which is just lost on me because I don't know whether it's the ADD or whether it's just because of the time that I've spent in sales, but I'm able to have a full conversation while also doing something completely different um, and just be able to keep track of those two things parallel in my mind. But watching folks during some of these drills either just completely vapor lock or have to finish their sentence before they're able to execute an action, it's like, that right there is probably something that you might want to start chipping away at because mm-hmm. that's easily three quarters of a second before you can start your draw time. The task fixation is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. That's, that's why we teach people when they're giving verbal commands to use short, no more than two word commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you load up a complete sentence in your brain and you start Mm -hmm. to deliver that sentence and the situation changes before your eyes. So many people are going to finish that complete sentence. So that complete thought they had in their head before they react or respond to reaction and responding are two different things before they react or respond to what they're actually seeing in front of them, even if their brain picked up on it. Yeah. And like, granted the, the last time I took Cecil's class was, uh, a year or two ago so it's, it's been a minute but from memory like i'm i'm the only person that was that was like hitting somebody in the middle of a sentence yeah. <laughs> um, and, it, and that was responding to yeah. their you know the the other person's behavior um and so you know but again the, the the whole idea of people spending their time and money to pursue this recreationally mm-hmm. again is such an alien concept you know um, I forget who it was that ran the math, but for a two-day class, when you factor in tuition, ammunition, lodging, and food, and transportation, you're in it for the better part of two grand per class. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the number of people that has 
$2,000 of completely disposable income, let alone, you know, four, six, eight outside of, you know, now if they're unencumbered, they're single and, you know, this is just what they do is their thing. Cool. Awesome. But when you've got, you know, multiple, you know, you've got either a spouse, possibly kids, you're juggling vacation time, sick time and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. The, the idea of the perpetual student, um, while again, is a goal that we should all pursue is not necessarily a truly accessible proposition to the majority of even active gun carriers. And so finding a way to to make that material as accessible as possible and encourage continuing education as opposed to, you know, shaming and dogging on them as being lazy or uncommitted or not wanting to do the work, um, I think is, is a big area of opportunity within the space because um, even some really high level instructors that I'm friends with and uh, I, I really like their material, their value proposition isn't there because it's like, this is what, this is what I can do. And this is, you know, I, this is what I can help you do. It's like, okay, if, if people are able to connect the dots and understand why that's important, they'll sign up for the class. Mm-hmm. But I think the piece that tends to be missing on a lot of this is, and here's why it's relevant to you. It's just this sort of assumed, um, you know, this, this assumed thing. And if we can find ways to better tie it back to the average um, civilian defender, then it's going to be a lot easier to get people excited about it. It's going to make it seem a whole lot less abnormal. And it's going to start getting a higher percentage of involvement, which I then think really has the opportunity to truly normalize all of this um, in a way that other attempts to normalize gun carrying have uh, have sort of missed the boat on. <laughs> yeah, and it's it also strikes me as this this other thing is. It comes up frequently as a topic of conversation. Be well-rounded. You need your mm-hmm. medical training. You know, that kind of stuff. And certain classes out there don't sell because the round count isn't high enough for what people mm-hmm. consider. And even though they're getting more information in the same amount of time than they would in a live fire class, mm-hmm. if there's not a shooting trophy at the end of his Brian Easter, to call it Pokemon, ranked Pokemon, or something like that, if there's not something like that drawing people in Mm -hmm. the class doesn't sell and Mm -hmm. um, yeah that's one of the things from the business perspective of being a traveling instructor or even a local instructor trying to you know keep it going in a certain area is you've got to get the people through the door okay Mm -hmm. that's how I've been able to finance a lot of the stuff that I've done in the training world as a student is I had a business or have a business that has financially supported it. If I wanted to go to a class, well, then I taught a class to get the money to go. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I'm going to drop X amount of money to go take this class somewhere. Well, mm-hmm. what a big deal because the business that was money came into the business that paid off for it and it was a tax write off. 
Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay taxes on that money that I made from that. And that's how I financed doing it. Had I not had that, I would not have been able to have taken a lot of the training that I've taken. Had I not worked in a career field that supported that with an employer that supported Mm -hmm. it. You know, for instance, um, I went to the SIG Academy's pistol-mounted opposite constructor course. It was during the week. So I went, and that counted as two workdays for me. Mm-hmm. I grabbed a case of ammo out of the ammo room, and I used points to pay for the – actually, the business paid for the hotel room. And mm-hmm. so I went to this class that, as you say, your, your X dollar amount for the average class cost me – 300 bucks to go to that the business paid for yep and i was able to and i won the range pokemon from the class too so yay um yeah yeah so for me it wasn't a huge investment mm-hmm. now if that was one of their open enrollment classes on a saturday sunday weekend that you'd have to travel and go to a hotel room and buy the case of ammo and everything else I see where that's a deterrent for people to go. So it's one of the reasons why I made the decision with my business when traveling is I quit doing, for the most part, uh, two day classes. Mm-hmm. I do two. You do two one day classes that can be one day done class. back. Yeah. I and do that's... two one day classes, and one of them is like if I can make enough money off of this one day class to cover all of my expenses. And everything then the other one's pure profit i consider it a successful from a business perspective weekend yep and what i have found uh when i switched to that model my revenue actually went up because yep. people that couldn't do the whole two-day weekend thing it's whatever, more accessible and you know I, I i can come to the sunday class but i can't come on saturday because you know junior's got a soccer game or my daughter's got this thing, or my wife wants to go to a Christmas party or something like that. Um, or, you know, or my husband's off doing something and I can't, can't come. You know, they could come on Saturday, but they weren't going to miss church on Sunday. Or they could come on Saturday, Sunday because they had something. It's amazing how much that freed up people. Now, still get people that come to both days. Yeah. But it's amazing. I've been trying to get, you know, tell some of the other instructors, like, hey, look, I know you got this great two day class. So if you can, the people that are going to come to two day classes are going to sign up whether it's offered as a two day class or not. But there's going to be a whole lot more people that will be attracted to a one day class and, you know, might just kind of dip their toe in the water Mm -hmm. or that's literally all they can swing. I shamelessly stole the model from Carl Wren um, Mm -hmm. in that the the very sort of limited curriculum that I've put together that I'm teaching here locally. Um, it's quite literally geared towards people who are like thinking that they might need a gun and have no idea what the hell to do. Um, it's four hour blocks uh-huh. and they're interchangeable. And, and I've got, it's like you start with handgun essentials cause that's how to not be a liability with a firearm. Yep. And then we can kind of branch off on the others, depending on what your, what interests you and what your needs are. But at the very least, it's a four-hour crash course on, you know, the the four, you know, universal rules of safe gun handling, and then basic manual of arms, and then some rough expectations of if you go to an indoor range, here's what to expect. If you go to an outdoor range, here's what to expect. If you go to a class, here's what to expect. Here are some of the red flags to look out for, you know, because 
there are so many people that are gun curious, but do not have a, uh, they don't have a foot in the door yet. And, you know, like it or not, representation matters. And so if there is not, you know, if there is not somebody that is teaching the material that either looks like them or has at least a reasonably parallel life experience to them, then you have to, at the very least, have some kind of pre-existing relationship or be approachable enough mm-hmm. to where you've got someone who is a effective stranger going, hey, I'm really uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing and I need your help. Um, so, you know, it's for those of us that have been around guns for any period of time, again, all this stuff is second nature and it's just so obvious that we can't fathom um, anybody not thinking, oh, I should learn about this. But, uh, you know, there is there is a very large consumer pool out there that needs the help and kind of wants to be welcomed in. But, um, you know, again, it's one of those where just a, a degree of understanding and empathy, because that's that's one of the things that, you know, when I was early on in sort of my trajectory uh, hell when I was in high school is kind of when I really started getting into guns um you know I was that aggressively proselytizing shall not be infringed and just sort of you know beating people over the head with talking points and um you know didn't really make any headway so once I got to college and three of the people in my social circle one of them was from Greenwich Village, Manhattan. One of them was from Long Island. And one of them was from L.A. and went to Burning Man with her mother every year. None of these three, and all of them were female. So none of these three women um, had ever been in the same zip code as a firearm, let alone had any interest in them. But, you know, because we were friends and because it was an interest of mine, uh, I invited them along to a range trip once and just once they saw and got exposed to firearms in a responsible recreational capacity, they're like, oh, okay. It's not all these crazy foaming at the mouth zealots who are like, you know, doomsday preppers. And so the like it or not, there is this caricature of gun owners that we have to be cognizant of and we have to actively work to overcome because anything that we do that plays into that stereotype all it will do is then immediately bolster the bias of folks who genuinely don't know any better because they don't know any gun owners and so all they have access to in terms of who we are how we think how we operate is whatever version of the narrative they have access to through their preferred channels of information, whether that be cable news, whether it be the internet, what have you. And so, yeah, you can sit back and laugh being stupid and sheep and all this other stuff, or you can go, okay, fun fact. That's not all of us. Hey, here's something you didn't think about. Here's something cool that I can show you. And you just might think it's neat as opposed to, 
ha ha, you stupid defenseless sheep, how dare you not value your own safety? And you know, that's another thing that goes along with that is that the hobbyists we want the latest in gun, the latest in gear. You know, you've got to have this, you know, X brand pistol with this optic on it. I was going to say, we run the price of entry up to a point that we were mm -hmm. pricing people out of it. And they just basically they shrugged their shoulders and just, well, I, I, I just can't do that. Yeah. yeah. I can't afford to do that. Or they go and someone tell you, you got to be able to do this skill to this level, everything. And then they just, well, I'll just, we'll walk away. Yeah. It's like, I haven't needed up till now. So clearly it could be that important. Right. So cool. See yeah. ya. Um, and, and, you know, and again, that's value is inherently subjective. Yeah. You know, there, there are people that look at me crazy because between the actual uh, machine and grinder, my coffee setup for my morning coffee mm -hmm. costs as much as a Glock. And here's the thing in the world of espresso machines, that ain't expensive. Yeah. Like that is, that's, that's the budget route. Um, but you know, there are people who are like, I don't care if it's hot and black and caffeinated, I'll drink it. Um, and so it's a matter of depending on what the thing is, the consumer is going to have a certain degree of sophistication. They're going to have a certain depth of understanding, you know, um, uh, Kirk Clark is, is a friend of mine mm -hmm. and, uh, I took him to this menswear shop in Dallas after TACCON last year, uh, him and his brother both. And um, I had his brother try this sports jacket on. He fell in love with it instantly. And then he saw the price tag and he has not forgiven me yet because I, he didn't buy it, but I, I have ruined him because he's like, oh my God, I understand why this is so expensive, but I cannot justify spending four figures on a jacket yeah. it's like hey man you know what uh, but it's a hell of a lot nicer than what you get at, at the dillard's yeah um and so for the entry-level gun owner you know they don't need the performance package they need something that is going to work that is going to be robust and you know yeah we turn our noses up at you know taurus and and you know all the other budget entry-level stuff when the reality is is that it's a hell of a lot better than, you know, at least from what I've been told, the entry level stuff was 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's funny. Whatever we, and I want to say we, I'm talking about people, decide is important to us. We find mm -hmm. the way to spend the money and do whatever we want to. And that's when we don't mm -hmm. find it that. Um, Back in my patrol cop days, I spent a lot of time on midnight shift. Well, when you're off on midnight shift and you're used to being awake all night long and your off days are like Wednesday night and Thursday night, you know, there's not a whole lot to do because I'm, I'm, I'm not a party guy. I'm not going to the bars and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I got really into, um, uh, Sorry, my, my phone went off with something over here. I got really into barbecue, but mm -hmm. cooking my own barbecue. Yeah, and folks, I know there are some of you out there that lives in part of the country where putting a hot dog on a grill, they're talking about going to barbecue. No, that is mm -hmm. no. If you've ever used BBQ, you don't know what barbecue is. 
Okay. And that's no. And no. there's a difference. Barbecue is a process. It is not an activity. If you're cooking hamburgers and hot dogs, you're having a cookout. You're not having a barbecue. And I'm sorry, I'll get off my soapbox over here. Oh no, I'm 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 right there with you. And so I spent a crazy amount of money. I walked all of a sudden I went out one day and I realized I had nine different grills. Because wow. I would buy this grill to cook this thing and I would mm-hmm. buy this piece of equipment or do another one and and um my graduation present to myself for finishing my master's program was a big green egg. And it stays in my garage. And I would like when I would be off on midnight shift, I'd roll it out into the driveway. Yep. And I'd spend all night long sitting out there tending that thing, cooking on it and everything. And so about lunch the next day, I had like some masterful piece of something that I had cooked. And I'd eat lunch. Oh, that was good. That was a fun night. And I'd go to bed and get up and go to work. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. my life, my job changed and I quit doing that, but I still got a garage full of grills and I've given some of them away and, and, and the like since then, yeah. but, um, you know, just to clean out space, yeah. but we're no different than the person that gets into golf yeah. and buys a new driver every, every month, because it may give them 10 more feet on their drive or I understand Jeep people are very high uh, end on the consumer mm-hmm. market and the like. It's no different. We all fall into that same trap. Yeah. And it's it it is always just tickles me to be at one of these gun classes and see someone shoving a Glock 34 with a weapon mounted light and a pistol mounted optic and a compensator because mm-hmm. the awesome recoil of a nine millimeter handgun is so hard so fierce that you can't control it down the front of their pants and then they're mm-hmm. dropping a shirt over it you can see the whole outline of everything and they're calling themselves concealed and then i beat them with a 19 with iron sights yeah that's and that's you know again it's 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 just <clears throat> of course i have i've, I've been the last couple of years, I will admit, I've been very heavy into the optic thing because I was trying to get mm-hmm. ahead of the trend and everything. But even back in those days, yeah, um, you know, it, it was it just still is still is funny to me. Now, I will say to the audience, I have finally crossed over. Um, my employer, my issue firearm now has an optic on it, and my options are to be employed and carry this gun, or be employed and carry what I want to. Nice. Be unemployed. And so, yes, now I'm carrying a gun with an optic on it. Now, it is exactly the setup I would have chosen. So I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. And hey, bosses, if you listen to this, I, I like the choice. Thank you for letting me pick between the two, the two setup options. Yay, I'm happy. Because um, you know, I've got a gun that I own personally, just like it, that I had set up for the, for, I just never had crossed over. Um but there's really not a whole lot of appreciable differences. Although Hearn gets mad at me when I've beaten him here lately several times. You have 20% more advantage in your equipment. Because Hearn knows what the percentage is. John, you picked what you were carrying. Of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. Nerd. You picked what you were carrying. Yeah. I mean, you know, I waited a whole lot longer than I probably should have to switch over to a dot. And honestly, for me, the articulable difference is it just, I have to think less. Like it's, it, and it's my eyes don't cooperate well together, anyways. Um, so 
reducing the number of things that have to be focused on. It just, it requires less RAM. And so for me, it just, it makes more sense. And the couple of, of new shooters that I've put a dot in there, you know, I put a, a dot gun in their hand. It's been a similar experience, but I immediately cautioned. I was like, look, from this point, yeah, it makes the shooting process easier. But getting to this point is so much less forgiving that mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot more work to get consistent. So yeah. you've got to figure out, you know, which which route you want to take. But um, it was it was a bit of a crystallizing moment for me. And it's it's interesting because another one of those very popular mantras of, you know, don't be lazy, shoot a stock gun until you can outshoot it, yada, yada, yada extended my process longer than it needed to uh because i was resisting any modification because i thought i hadn't earned the right to modify my gun until it was good enough yet um but then after taking a class where the instructor who was a friend of mine actually literally gave me permission like dude you are a good enough shooter that if you feel like you've got certain preferences that you want to explore you can do that like oh okay cool so Try the dot that helped, and then um, I've discovered that I vastly prefer a, a rolling kind of TDA style trigger over something with a wall on it. And so, you know, cool. I've I've made some minor adjustments to the to the trigger on my Glock so that it has a less of a of a hard wall break, and that's that's basically it. But um, you know, again, it's it's one of those where the 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 mantras and the dogmas and all that kind of stuff. They, they wind up just getting so overused that the intent gets lost. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, that's another one of those things where, especially once you start getting very specialized, what people say versus what they mean versus what's heard can be three completely different things. And, um, you know, it's like the whole idea of like, well, you know, you, you can you can never have too much skill, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, conceptually, yes, because the more skill you have, the more, you know, and whatever degradation you experience, uh, well, the higher skill level you have, evidently you experience less degradation. And then at that point, you are still performing at a higher level than the average person. Yes, cool. But none of that crap happens in a vac in a in a vacuum. And so again, it's how much of t- how much time and effort for skill development, how much time and effort for skill maintenance. And then you factor in all the various slices of the pie. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the big, the big sticking point and, uh, kind of bring it back full circle to, you know, what we're talking about in terms of just sort of, you know, normies and, and regular people. Um, it was another exchange that happened in the, in the Filster workshop where, uh, interestingly enough, it was on, on one of my videos where I was talking about, you know, how much concealment do you really need? And it's a sliding spectrum depending on circumstance. Um, one of the guys in there posted a, uh, a video from John Lovell who was talking about the, the merits of uh, open carry. And um, I've never met John Lovell personally. Uh, a couple of people that I know, know him have worked with him. Seems like a nice enough guy. I have a very difficult time. If I'm, if there's somebody who for the entirety of their adult life, has carried a gun under color of authority telling me as a you know regular earth person with no credentials what does and doesn't work and 
you know, again, it's just, it's a matter of what normal is because like you were saying at the beginning of the show, um, you're required as part of your job to carry a firearm. If I have a hard time envisioning any circumstance where you would be confronted like, Hey, why do you have a gun on you? Yeah. Cause, cause, cause of this right here, this, the shiny gold thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't have that luxury. I can't badge out of anything. Um, yeah. And so it's just one of those where folks that have always been credentialed to be armed tend to lose sight of what the normal dynamics are amongst people that, that exist outside the gun space. Um, you know, again, something that I talked about in the video, I was working for a, uh, a commercial construction company in Texas. I mean, you want to talk about legit good old boys club. Um, you know, like our, our project managers are, are dipping red man and every company car is a, uh, you know, is, is a pickup truck, you know, good old boy type stuff. Nobody had a problem with gun ownership. Every, every, every man in that office had a carry permit. Not a single one of them actually carried. Yep. Maybe one of them had it in the console of his truck, maybe. But the idea of actively concealed carrying on a regular basis was just not a thought in their head. And so even in such a friendly environment as that, there wouldn't have been any real you know, consequences and any real fallout if I had chosen to you know, uh, carry at that workplace, unlike the, the previous one. But um, it still, it, it would have drawn odd looks. And even amongst the civilian defender crowd, the dismissal tends to be, it's like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, I don't have to justify myself to anybody. And it's like, I have my carry permit. I'm within my rights, yada, yada, yada. I was like, I mean, that is a yeah. factually correct statement, but it also completely loses sight of the fact there are plenty of folks that have gotten internet famous over fairly mild transgressions that uh, never needed to make the news because either someone decided to dig their heels in on general principle or uh, they could have simply exercised a little bit more care and, uh, and thought and avoided the whole interaction entirely. Because yeah. um, that's, that's another one is people get hemmed up on general principle quite a bit. And it's like, you know, yeah. I shouldn't have to. It's like, yeah, you, you shouldn't, but, uh, you know. The world isn't as it should be. The world is as it is. Again, to, to steal a line from from Doctor April, and it's like you can you can lament how things should be all you want, but we have to deal with the reality of where we're at. Yeah. And your comment system just brought up something in my mind. I I came really close here a couple of months ago from leaving the whole badge profession behind and moving to something corporate. And one of the things that gave me pause, and I'm glad the opportunity that came up that I accepted came up. Uh, one of the things that gave me pause was I cannot escape the gun sphere on the internet at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. Because now if anybody Googles me, mm -hmm. they're going to find it. Yep. And one of the corporate jobs I was looking at and I got to looking at the cultural of that company is like all it's going to take is for me making somebody mad in the office one day 
and them Googling me mm-hmm. and seeing this whole life that I've lived out there. Yep. And then I'm going to get fired over that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what? I'm going to stay in my world. Yeah. And thankfully, I found an opportunity that allowed me to stay in my world, but kind of leave the world I was in as well. And, um, you know, it's, we all want to go chase those, those, those Pokemons and those, those, uh, performance goals and then post them all over our social media when we achieve them. And I'm, I've done it. Yeah. Done it. Um, that's a, maybe the albatross that follows you around. It can be. I mean, you know, I, there's a reason why it wasn't until probably about the last year or so that I was comfortable actually having my name associated with the suited shootist. I was trying to keep that as reasonably anonymous as possible um, yeah. to avoid that kind of cross-contamination. Um, now, you know, thankfully, uh, after my time with the Firearms Policy Coalition and now working with GAT Marketing, uh, obviously I've got a bit more latitude there. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's less of a, uh, less of an issue, but uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very polarizing thing for some people mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you can gnash your teeth about it all you want, or uh, you can actually be a true 2A ambassador, but here's the kicker uh, that actually requires a modicum of diplomacy. Yeah. And yeah, there are people out there on both sides, or I guess all sides of the political spectrum, because there's more than one, more than two sides, that cannot separate mm-hmm. their political views, their worldviews from everything that they do. Yeah. And if someone has a different political view or worldview from them, then they are evil and they must be crushed and destroyed. And you could go to a situation where you've not violated anything in the workplace. Okay. You got caught carrying at work. Okay. If that's the thing that's against workplace policy, that's an easy thing to terminate somebody over. Mm-hmm. But suppose you were staying within your workplace policy, but someone found out you're in this this lifestyle and they decided that to become a reason to crush you. Yeah. They they got yes. all the justification in their mind that they need, and if anybody follows you with a microscope, they can find some reason. Yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, and that's it. Is is that I'm fortunate in that I grew I like I have never really been surrounded by like minded people. Like the the school that I went to when I grew up was a you know yuppie wonderbread prep school in the dc area where every you know every other student was the child of a diplomat or a politician um when i went to college you know same thing despite the fact that i went to college in the south tulane at large is a uh, you know is a is a relatively blue uh political spectrum because like a, th- a third of the campus is from long island um, yeah, two but, lanes in the south. That's not a southern university. Uh, no, no, it's not. But you know what? I I hold a very uh, very high honor of graduating from a college in New Orleans in only four years. So, yeah. um, and so it's just you know all of that has exposed me to a lot of people in mm-hmm. various different social spheres and subcultures 
that if I stuck exclusively to the gun world, I wouldn't necessarily have interacted with yeah. uh, to the same degree. And it has made it incredibly valuable because when I'm having these conversations with, you know, some of these gateway students who have approached me because of, you know, various things. And I had one of them who commented on, you know, despite the fact that they are looking to get a handgun for personal protection and, you know, possibly a carry permit and all of this, they were still of the opinion that it was quote, too easy to get a handgun in Texas. The fact that it didn't, there was no training component required. Like, okay, let's talk about that. And so we're sitting down after the range session, like, I absolutely understand conceptually where you're coming from here. And all I had to do was frame a couple of things and tie it back to their circumstance, showing them how easily those mechanisms can be weaponized against people. It was like, huh, mm -hmm. I never thought of that. But it was simply the fact that I had a, a base level understanding of who they were as a person and some idea of what their life experience was like. I was able to tie this back and make it relevant to them as opposed to simply chanting shall not be infringed. Mm -hmm which, you know, now they have a better understanding. They're less inclined to be as sympathetic to, you know, proposed feel-good type legislation and stuff like that because, you know, it's one of the most valuable things that I got from, you know, some of the more sort of uh, touchy-feely folks that I'm, uh, that I'm connected with is – when I started framing the idea of concealed carry and self-defense at large as nothing more than an extension of boundary enforcement and bodily autonomy, you would be astounded at how many seemingly non or anti-gun people are able to start wrapping their mind around the concept when you frame it that way. Because yep. again, just because we all speak English doesn't mean we're speaking the same language. That is correct. That's correct. And I think that sums it up. I think that, that that's probably a good place to say, you know what, folks, that uh, that that hit the whole thing. We've been going a little over an hour at yeah. this point. Uh, Alec, tell people about your website, how they can get in touch with you. Sure. So, I uh, take them and I just did it again. <laughs> uh, how many times do we need to say, say Gell House so that that way people are drinking about that instead? Oh, well, um, you know, and now I got to take a swig. So. Um, yeah, so the suited shootist, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Technically, I'm on TikTok. Uh, I've got a Patreon. So if folks want uh, a little bit more in depth, uh, we do some stuff in there about actual like style consultation, gear integration. We talk about some of the more sensitive topics that uh, don't necessarily need to be subject to the internet at large and the opinions of anybody with a uh, with an internet connection. So. Um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. And then uh, again, on the day job, I'm working with GAT Marketing. So whether it is a uh, firearms company or anybody in a uh, in an industry that gets suppressed by Google, Meta, etc., we specifically focus on marketing services for you know those types of industries. So be more than happy to help out folks on that front as well. Cool. You know, I have purposely kept this show in the very deep end of the swimming pool mm -hmm. uh, so that we avoid the drive-by comments 
I typically don't get any of that from the podcast feed. Occasionally, somebody will find the YouTube feed. Mm -hmm. Occasionally. But because we stay with the topics that we stay with, it's most shows are an hour and a half long and everything. It's not like it's a 30-second video somebody can watch on Facebook and jump in and comment. But man, I'm finding that whole just general population shallow into the pool on the internet just to be Not a place I want to be. Uh, I have really withdrawn from from a lot of that. Absolutely, yeah. There is, I've, there's only a handful of of gun groups that I'm even a part of anymore, let alone active in for the for the exact same reason. Uh, yeah. So I, I definitely can sympathize there. Yeah. All right, man. I appreciate you jumping in, and I hope we give Absolutely. some people some some food for thought. Fingers uh, crossed on on this topic, because uh, again, folks. I will say this, everybody that gets into the whole teaching side of it has visions of being the big name traveling instructor that everybody flocked to their classes. The biggest need in the firearm training world is competent entry-level classes. You're not going to make a lot of money doing it. It's and it's I don't have range access to do it. I don't have a tie-in with a gun shop that's going to be feeding people my way and, and, and all that kind of thing. And the market kind of forced me into kind of doing the traveling thing. Yeah. Um, the biggest need out there is for folks that are teaching people, okay, this is a firearm. Well, and that's, that's the yeah. other reason why everything that I've got set up does not require a range facility it is designed to be done in the comfort of somebody's living room so you know again it's it's one less barrier to entry because that's another thing that again you know tying it all back that we lose sight of is especially given the a-type personalities and law enforcement military there's a certain uh expectation or being accustomed to somewhat austere training environments that Mm -hmm are not necessarily conducive to adult learning of yeah. brand new motor skills. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, we could do so much better with lots and lots and lots of dry work before we ever do. Mm-hmm. Fire. But again, that doesn't sell, you know, at least for the traveling you know, or the people that are trying to, to match yeah. it. Um, you know what? A four-hour block on how to draw the pistol from the holster with a blue gun yep. can actually be pretty effective as far as conveying the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and credit where credit's due, one of the one of the main drivers for the way I built this was one of your first episodes that you did with Hearn about the fact that we shoot too much in gun classes. Yep. So, yep. Thank you for that. You had a major input. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know you. I've had this conversation with several people recently that talk about we give X number of rounds to our training program for, you know, whatever, as far as like a new officer program or whatever. Like, okay. Um, I could take that same amount of time and cut about half that ammo out and accomplish the same thing that you're accomplishing, but cool. Yeah. The volume of rounds that are fired down range has no, nothing. It's not a predictor of success. Right. It's not a predictor of translation of skill. 
And I, I see people sitting on just turning money into noise and not picking up the skill that they're trying to. No. And I'm sure, and I'm sure it's even worse when the individual that is turning yeah. money into noise is not the one that actually struck the check for the ammo. Right. And you know, it was in my previous employer existence. You know, when are we going to the range? Will you give me some ammo so I can go shoot? How about you come to my office and we'll do some dry work? Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to go shoot. Okay, uh, we'll go to the range. I'll give you two hundred rounds. Uh, but you're going to go to the range with me and one of the other instructors. You're going to be coached for that entire 200 rounds. You're going to shoot a series of drills that build on each other. Oh, no, I just want to go shoot. Mm. I'm Don't not going like with that. You know. yeah. and, but, oh, well, that, that could get jumped off on a whole nother 45-minute <laughs> conversation here in a minute. And I have freshmen that are blowing up my phone that I need to go deal with. And All right. Well, you've taken an hour and a half out of your Sunday evening. So, good seeing you, and uh, I'll see you in Dallas. Uh, maybe, maybe. That's right. Um, You're up in the air. Yeah, with, with the job change, um, we haven't scheduled that far out, so I don't know gotcha. if I'm going to be able to uh, to swing it this year. All right. But, well, figure uh, it Yeah, I'm I'm hoping so. Um, I am kind of looking at if I can't make it for the whole thing, maybe flying out Saturday morning and flying home Sunday evening. Um, but that kind of goes back to the conversation we had pre-air. Yep. And uh, I don't know about that. In, in, in the <laughs> previous existence, that would not have been a, been an issue. Uh, I'll yep. know that now. That's kind of a thing. All right. Well, everyone, uh, Alex, appreciate you coming and dropping in tonight. And to the audience who understand that your most important asset is your time. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.